0: Well, good morning again, Calvary Bible Church. In his introduction to Psalm 145, and Psalm 145, it's one of those classic psalms, and I think all preachers look forward to at some point preaching Psalm 145. It is one near and dear to my heart that I was introduced to by my pastor, Pastor Jack, here many years ago. And it's just, it's an incredible, incredible psalm. But uh, in his introduction to Psalm 145, pastor, preacher, and author Steve Lawson writes this. Quote, the chief purpose of the believers, both now and through the ages, is the pursuit of the glory of God. Praising and practicing the greatness of God should be the primary passion of God's people all day, every day. Adoring the Lord should be the constant delight of their souls, the endless theme of their hearts. In every circumstance of life, believers should magnify his glorious name. Perpetual praise offered to God should be the grand pursuit of all that the saints do. Their ultimate priority in this life, their chief business in the world to come. End quote. Go ahead and stand with me and please turn to Psalm 145. We'll stand for the reading of God's Word. This is Psalm 145. A psalm of praise of David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and I will tell of your greatness They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully at your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and His mercies are over all His works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these tremendous words that we now look forward to just getting a little bit deeper with. And Lord, just to to mind some of the amazing, incredible truths of what we hear from the psalmist David. Lord, help us, help us to ingest these words digest them that they lord will come out in 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 our our daily lives we pray this all in your son jesus's name and um lord just i want to also extend a special prayer and thanksgiving lord for our even our veterans lord we celebrated veterans day on friday and thank you lord for our country thank you lord for those that have served this country so well um, and those that continue to serve even as we speak, we pray for their safety and your care, your keeping of them. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. And we do thank all of you, our veterans, that are here this morning that have, again, served your country so well. <clears throat> in 1715, King Louis the Fourteenth of France died... After a reign of 72 years, he had called himself the great and was the monarch who made the famous statement, I am the state. His court was the most magnificent in Europe and his funeral was equally spectacular, attended by thousands, and as his body lay in state, orders were given that the magnificent Parisian cathedral of Notre Dame be very dimly lit with only a single special candle placed next to Louis' ornate golden coffin to dramatize his greatness. Bishop Massillon was appointed to deliver the funeral oration revered for his funeral oratories. Massillon's task on this occasion seemed straightforward albeit daunting, to eulogize a monarch widely considered to be the greatest man on earth. Now, before ascending the stairs to the pulpit, Massillon symbolically extinguished the candle's flame. The hushed crowd sat expectantly in the darkened nave, and Massillon paused to secure their full attention. Everyone was thinking, what What words would the preacher marshal to exalt the the greatness of the greatest of all monarchs? And Massillon pierced the silence with this declaration. Only God is great. Friends, over the next three weeks, we are going to be talking about the greatness of God from this psalm 145 and then as we wrap up this little mini mini series and we will move into celebrating christmas with some messages four messages on the promises of god for christmas now just a little historical context regarding psalm 145 the psalms are dialogues really between man and god and they speak of the human condition the author's wrote about things like pain and joy and fear and hope and rejection, comfort, needs. Really the whole gamut of the human heart. They became poems, prayers, and songs. And have been traditionally used in worship to focus the worshiper's thoughts and heart on God in praise, adoration, and thanksgiving. For ancient Israel, it was basically a, a hymn book. In fact, the meaning of the word psalm is actually a song sung to the accompaniment of a musical instrument. Now, most of us think of the author of the psalms being King David. And, and that would certainly be appropriate for the simple fact that he was, well, one, a talented musician. And, of course, we know that he you know, played his, his harp out there while he was shepherding sheep before he was uh, brought into service of the tormented King Saul. And while he did write at least half of them, he didn't write them all. About a third of the Psalms, the author is unknown, and while David's son Solomon wrote two of them, Moses even wrote the oldest one, Psalm 90, probably around 1400 B.C. One of the newer ones, Psalm 137, was written around the time of the Babylonian captivity in the 6th century B.C., so the Psalms then, we can see, were written over some thousand-year period, and the Psalms that The psalm that we are going to look at over, again, the next three weeks being Psalm 145 is believed to be the last psalm written by David. Now, Psalm 145 is the only one with the heading, a psalm of praise of David, which is a part of the original Hebrew text. So we might say how fitting it is that the man after God's own heart would finish the Psalter with one of the greatest psalms of praise and glory to God. And this is something, of course, that David knew much about as he he knew God intimately. He loved God. He trusted in, in God. David also knew well things like trials and afflictions and difficulties and even sin, and while he had much experience with all of these, he, he always maintained a, a certain trust in the Lord that we, that we hear even at the end of a, a, a psalm. Or, or we understand that he has indeed found his way back to God. And sometimes it might have been by the gentle leading of the Holy Spirit and sometimes by the Lord's hand of discipline. But in the end, he always acknowledged God as his Lord and gave him the honor due him and the praise that he deserved. You know, I think one of the more, to me, astounding moments where we we see this is after David and Bathsheba's new son, born of sinful adultery, the son is killed by God as a consequence for David's sin, not only of adultery, but for murder of Uriah, her husband, and deceit as well. In any case, David Went before the Lord, petitioning the Lord to spare the life of his boy. In, in prayer, he did this. And he, and he humbly donned the, the sackcloth and, and ashes and slept on the floor. But to no avail. God did take the life of David's child. And you know what David's reaction was after that happened? No, he didn't, he didn't yell or, or scream at God, how could you do this to me? You know, or, or, or blame God in any way or accuse God of some kind of unrighteousness. But the scripture says, quote, so David rose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. He worshipped God after God took the life of his son and you think how, how, how could he do that I, I don't know if I could do that how friends he could do it because he trusted in a sovereign God that he knew had made a just and righteous decision and David accepted that and he worshiped God because of it and all of this to say David David knew a thing or two about Worshiping God, and praising God, and exalting God, and glorifying the Lord. Hence, a psalm of praise of David. And in our our three messages that that we will have, you will be introduced to a number of God's attributes. That was really my, my desire in preaching this psalm, was to just have us be blown away and blessed... By hopefully a deeper understanding of who God is and 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 as much as we can mind from Psalm one forty five about his his character, and that's how I've kind of organized uh, these messages and it is again my hope and prayer that by learning about the character of God and not just the character of God, but we see from David a proper response to the character of God, who he is, that this will indeed draw you more closely to. To God, to His Son, and that your relationship with them both will indeed be deepened and that you will bear much fruit because of it. So we'll consider these attributes through King David's declaration of them, followed by or followed along with his responses to them. And the first attribute that he declares we will call the declaring of God's name. The declaring of God's name. And you might have heard that phrase what's in a name? Now, some parents are very purposeful about what they will name their children. And in some cultures, names are given for, for what parents hope their children will turn out to be. And they give them a name accordingly of what they kind of wish for them to become. And other times, maybe more so here in the United States, we just, we, we just give them names because we like them. I think my wife and I have done a lot of that. We, we come up with a name, we like it, it sounds good. But you see, God has some very specific names with very specific meanings. God's names are absolutely intentional and they, they signify his attributes. They, they speak to his character, who he is. And David gets right to the point here in verse 1 when he says, I will extol you. My God, O king, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. And so David first acknowledges God, Elohim, the true God, reflecting divine majesty and power. And he also acknowledges God as king. We'll get to that one with our next attribute. But what does David say that he will do with these names of God? First, he says, I will extol you, my God. He will, in other words, raise his name up for for glory and exaltation. And secondly, he says he he will bless God's name. We love to say, God bless you, don't we? Right? I mean, we say it when somebody sneezes. And our politicians, whether they believe in God or not, love to say, May God bless these United States of America and we sing a favorite song, God bless America. And we're forever asking for God's blessing, aren't we? For our country or for our state or our county or city, for other people, for ourselves. And it's not that that is wrong, friends, but really, how often do you seek to bless God? Think about that for a minute. How often do we seek to bless God? I mean, Can we, as mere mortals, can we even do such a thing? Can we even bless God? And the answer is, of course you can. Absolutely. And the primary way that you can bless God is through your love and obedience to Him. How about that for a bumper sticker? America, bless God by obeying Him. Furthermore, David's desire is to bless God's name, not just on the the rare occasion or every now and again, or even while only on this earth. But he says, every day I will bless you. He says, I will bless your name forever and ever. So in other words, there will never be a day or a time when David won't bless the name of God. And I just, I had to stop and I put some of these questions in as I'm doing this because I'm thinking these questions to myself. Can we say the same? Could, could, could I say the same? That there will never be a day that goes by that I don't bless God somehow, some way. Now, along with this, there will also never be a time when he won't praise the name of the Lord. He says, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Praise from the Hebrew halal, meaning to boast about, to commend, to bring glory to, to praise. I grew up singing The doxology. Doxa meaning glory. Which is nothing but a short song of praise to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Sing with me. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And like blessing God's name, this praising of God's name, friends, is forever and ever from now on into eternity. As Psalm 71 and verse 6 says, By you, by you I have been sustained from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's room, womb. My praise is continually of you. Continually. I just think maybe a a question that we could ask is is when and where, should we be blessing and praising the name of God? I mean, does, is David here, is he just referring to blessing and praising God when he's uh, alone by himself? Or or is he referring to with friends and family? or Or when he's acting like king? Or even in the public square? Well, folks, you remember when this young man squared off against the giant Goliath, who was he in front of? He was in front of a giant army of pagans, unbelievers. And what did he declare? But you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. And this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. End quote. That was David to just this whole Humongous army of again unbelievers, and he wasn't afraid, was he? He wasn't afraid to to praise or bless the name of God in front of this this army or or anywhere else for that matter. In fact, he wanted these unbelievers to know of the great God of Israel. Which brings us to verse three and another name for God, Lord. Great is the Lord capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and then down in verse 21, he says, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And that Lord is used several times throughout this psalm. If you happen to have John MacArthur's new legacy Bible, you'll notice that Lord is translated as Yahweh which is the actual translation for the proper name of the God of Israel. And in most modern translations um, that you might have in front of you, Lord, again, is in all caps to differentiate this from the Hebrew Adonai, or the Greek Kyrios, both of which are also translated as Lord. The Hebrew word for Yahweh is known as... uh, we sometimes call it the unpronounceable, here's your $5 uh, word for the morning, tetragrammaton, because it only contains four consonants. It has the Y, it has the H, it has the W, and another H. And it was not pronounced by the Jews uh, because of Leviticus twenty four sixteen, which says that if anyone would blaspheme the name of Yahweh, they would be put to death. So they didn't want to slip up or possibly make a mistake. So when they are reading the scripture, they would substitute Elohim or Adonai. And eventually they they took the vowels from Adonai and and put them in with the the YHWH. And we came up with Yahweh. Tyndale Bible Dictionary tells us, quote, Yahweh is the name par excellence of Israel's God. As Yahweh, he is a faithful covenant God who, having given his word of life and love, keeps that word by bestowing love and life abundantly on his own. End quote. Now, friends, I think it would be remiss if we didn't e- consider for a few minutes here, too. The name of the Lord in the New Testament as well. Even David acknowledged the coming Lord, the Messiah, when he said in Psalm 110 verse 1, The Lord, that is Yahweh, says to my Lord, that's capital L lowercase O-R-D, meaning reference to the Messiah, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Acts 4 and verse 12 says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name, referring to Jesus Christ, going back to verse 10 of Acts 4, there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Philippians 2, 9-11, has Paul writing, for this reason also, the reason being, if we look back in the, the previous text, humble obedience, for this reason also, God highly exalted him, meaning Christ, And bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the gospel, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. The Savior is, of course, Jesus, that he went to the cross on our behalf, that he took our our, our sin upon himself, that he became sin for us, that he, he, he died the criminal's death, but then three days later, being dead, dead, dead in the tomb, he raises to new life. He resurrects, conquering death, and proving, of course, that he is God. Proving that he has eternal life, that we too, then, can have eternal life. If you would put your faith and trust in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, you too will be saved. Of course, when Jesus returns, we have Revelation 19, verses 11 to 13, which tells us that his name is faithful and true. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And then lastly, in this kind of name section, David points us to God's holy name. Look at verse 21 when he says all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. That means his set-apart name, his name that is unprofaned, his name that is altogether righteous and perfect in every way. Let us not take lightly the name of the Lord, but rather let us speak it with fear and reverence. God is holy, and yet we are a people of unclean lips, are we not? As James says, with our tongues we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Amen? Amen. Amen. We would do well to heed the third command. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain, because it is indeed a holy, perfectly righteous, set-apart name. Friends, our response to the name of God should be no different than the psalmist David. We too should look for every opportunity both privately and publicly to extol the name of the Lord. To bless and praise his name forever and ever. To use our mouths to, to speak his name and the praises of the Lord, with the hope that many will see and many will will come to faith, so that all flesh will bless the Lord's holy name, and all flesh will do so forever and ever and ever. Loved ones, think think of how think of how the name of the Lord can be on your lips day in and day out. Consider where, and when, and how you can pray. with a, a, oh, oh that's that's really great. Praise the Lord, you know? What about outside those doors? What about out there in the the secular world? Are you as quick to offer God praise in front of an unbeliever? Do you truly seek for all flesh to bless His name by your mouth speaking His praises? And of course, what about privately? Is your day fair? Filled with extolling and blessing God's name. Are are you looking for every opportunity, both great and small, to to sing his praises back to him? May his name be the, the first word on our lips every morning when we wake up. And may it be the last thing on our lips or in our minds as we lay our heads on the pillow to go to sleep. Well, moving on, David also acknowledged God as his king. This is our second point, character, attribute. Declaring God's kingship. Declaring God's kingship. Look back to verse 1. I will extol you, my God, O king. Now, the three prerequisites, if you were thinking about having your own kingship, are this. You would, one, need a kingdom. You would need some kind of realm to rule over then of course you would also have to have subjects to rule over and then lastly you would have to then either make yourself or be made a king somebody who could actually exercise the authority in doing so right now since god is the creator of all things guess what he gets to be king not you not i only god his realm is the whole of his creation And his subjects, you and I, are the people that he has created. This should point our hearts and our minds, friends, to the sovereignty of God. And the fact that throughout history, there has never been a time where God has not been on his throne, ruling and reigning. Now, yes, yes, he has allowed sin to enter into the world, but as a consequence of man's choice of sin. And yes, he has for a time allowed Satan to act as a ruler of this world. But friends know that his time is getting shorter. Satan has been judged and will soon be cast out. But the scripture is clear that God always was, is, and always will be king. That's that. Psalm 10 and verse 16 tells us the Lord is king forever and ever. While Psalm 59, 13 tells us that God's earthly rule extends to the ends of the earth. In Daniel 4 and verse 35, King Nebuchadnezzar rightly says about God, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And of course, this doesn't preclude his kingship from extending beyond the earth to the rest of his creation. As we understand from Psalm 103 and verse 19, which points out the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his sovereignty rules over all. All means all. All his whole realm of creation. Now, Part of how David defines God as king is the fact that he does extol him, right? He, he raises him or he lifts him up in the sense of exaltation and glory. And this is done to some degree with even earthly monarchs, right? When somebody comes before a king, they extol them by bowing down or by curtsying or Addressing them as your majesty. Uh, I I learned when I was checking this out that your royal highness is actually uh, reserved for non-king and queen royals. But there is a certain reverence given them due to their position. But even David as king would not expect the same exaltation as that which is reserved for the Lord. As Moses said in Exodus 15 and verse 2, The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise Him, my Father's God, and I will extol Him. Or Isaiah 25 and verse 1, which has the prophet Isaiah saying, O Lord, You are my God, I will exalt You. I will give thanks to your name for you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Or 1 Chronicles 29, 11, which reads, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth. Yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Maybe we should ask ourselves, Who is our king? Maybe on a daily basis, right? I I know we would all answer as believers. Well, God, the Lord is my king. Is he day in and day out? Or do we make other things our king? And I will be the first one to raise his hand. Who is your sovereign? Who is the one in authority over you? Yes, may it be the Lord and then, if this is the case, or this being the case, do you extol him? Do you lift him up? Yes, we did. We extolled him and lifted it up in praise and worship and singing and song this morning. But what about when we leave this place? And what about tomorrow and 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 during a difficult time at work or or during a a challenging time at school or or with your kids or in the midst of some kind of public arena? Are you still quick to extol the Lord? Now, returning to Psalm 145, David acknowledges God's kingdom as a glorious and majestic kingdom. We see this in verses 11 and 12, where it says they, and the they refers back to his godly ones, of verse 10. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. And then down in verse 12, he says, To make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Now, again, godly ones being those who know and love the Lord. And this side of the cross, those who have placed their faith in his son, Jesus. And what are we to do? We are to speak the glory and make known the majesty of God. So maybe we need to ask this. What's glorious or what's majestic about God's kingdom? Well, the Hebrew word for glory literally means heavy. It means weighty. And figuratively, it refers to a person who with great weight is, is honorable, impressive, or worthy of respect. And God's kingdom is certainly all of those, but in addition, it is also majestic. The word here being ornament, meaning something that, that adorns by lending grace and beauty. It is also translated as splendor or excellence. So again, what is it about God's kingdom that would cause us to speak of it in these terms of being glorious or majestic? Now, if if I'm, I'm asked to think of something here on earth as I was going through this and putting this together... The things that I find in an earthly sense as being glorious or majestic. My mind immediately goes to a river, and that river is going through this 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 tree studded valley right and of course it 's a fishable river, no doubt about that. it obviously has great and wonderful fish in it to to catch but there 's these these mountains that just jut up on on either side, just up to the Heavens and and that to me is a picture of glory and majesty. I love those Thomas Kincaid paintings, you know, and you see that 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 kind of thing. It, it it points me to God in the sense of his creation. And and these things remind me of him because they reflect his glory and they reflect his majesty. And for you it might be something very different, like it might be a special piece of art. It might be amazing, cutting-edge technology, or an impressive piece of architecture, or, or a newly birthed baby. But it usually tends to be something that's just a little bit out of the ordinary, isn't it? I mean, we don't usually find just kind of a, a special meal to be, say, glorious or majestic or, or our favorite team winning the World Series or the Super Bowl to be glorious or majestic or, or even Magic Mountain to be glorious or majestic, though it is magical. <laughs> but God's kingdom... God's domain where he lives his heavenly realm even the new heavens and the new earth where he will dwell and we will dwell with him for all eternity are indeed glorious and majestic and we should be eager to make this known to the sons of men meaning other people when you have encountered something glorious or majestic, don't you usually want to share that with somebody, with others, with anybody? You know, we—I I thought about this. We often want to share things that are just a lot less important in our daily lives, right? You can tell that just by looking on somebody's Instagram or Facebook page, right? And so, so when I wrote this, I did that. I, I went on to to Facebook, and it was really cool because. Bam! The first post that comes up was from our own Sean Staples, and he had a trip recently. And the first picture I see is something that I would consider glorious and majestic. It was this beautiful shot in Arizona, and you had the mountains, and you had the the sky, and these puffy clouds. And it was like, that's not what I'm looking for, man. That's glorious and majestic, Sean. You know, I wanted an example. Well, then I went to my own page, and the first thing that came up was, I was enthralled the other night when we're at the triple-level Target in the Glendale Galleria, and my shopping cart had its own escalator. So I I had to shoot a video of that because, see, we didn't have things like that in Weaverville, right? Shopping carts don't get their own escalator. I thought, oh, Lordy, I need help. I need help. Elders were really hoping that I would use that page for, you know, good and glorious things, right? We'll still try. But here's something else that's certainly glorious and majestic about God's kingdom. When we look back at verse 13 in Psalm 145, he says that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And your dominion, just another word for kingdom, right? Endures throughout all generations. It is both everlasting and enduring through every generation that is still to roam the planet Until Jesus returns and sets up his everlasting, enduring heavenly kingdom, which includes the new heavens and the new earth. Well, I'm on vacation, and that usually means that we are are traveling somewhere. We usually go out of town somewhere for for vacation. I, I inevitably get to that point in the vacation where I start thinking about it being over. It's usually just past the halfway mark, right? And it bums me out. It depresses me. It just kind of gets me down because I'm like going, only three days left, only two days left, only one day left, you know? And then the day arrives and you have to pack up and head for home. And it's not that home isn't a good place, right? We love to, to, to be home. It's just that the vacation was so enjoyable, you just don't want it to end, right? But guess what, friends? God's glorious and majestic Kingdom being everlasting and enduring means it will never end. We will never get to that point of being there and go, oh, it's almost over. It's almost over because it will never be over. Amen. 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 Let the good times roll and they'll just continue to roll and roll and roll and roll and roll and roll. And roll. There will be no countdown for God's kingdom ever coming to an end. You know, I think part of the problem here for us, I think part of the problem is that we we, we see this life and we see this world as coming to an end. And so, you know, in, in that sense, or we, excuse me, we don't see it as coming to an end. So we, we pay less attention to... The future we get so caught up in the the busy and the the daily life and the month after month and year after year, and we just think it 's always going to again continue until bam it 's over, and what then and what then for the for the believer though it means your everlasting and enduring life with Christ in his glorious majestic kingdom has just begun, but what if we what if we paid more attention to the future while in the present? What if we we developed more and more that eternal mindset mindset? Wouldn't that that just help us to more enthusiastically make these truths about a glorious majestic kingdom known to the sons of men, to those outside these walls? Well, the next and our last one for this morning, attribute that David extols is what our message is named for. That is declaring God's greatness. Declaring God's greatness. We see this primarily in verses 3 and 6. Verse 3, it says, Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Down in verse 6, he says, Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness now we could we could consider some of the human accomplishments that we might deem as being great things that have been achieved by by humanity things in the political realm right democracy or how about human rights enshrined by even our Constitution there's there's great technological achievements and in human ingenuity we think of well the great pyramids, for instance, and things like boats and planes and trains and automobiles. How about putting a man in space? And then on the moon, we have some great cultural achievements. Uh, Leonardo da Vinci's Mona Lisa, or The Last Summer, or the, the works of William Shakespeare. And of course, in the sporting realm, we have The Four Minute Mile, or Climbing Mount Everest. And yet, as great as these achievements and the people behind them are, they don't come close to creating a universe in six days out of nothing. By the breath of God's mouth. They don't come... Look, here's, here's a, here's, i got a few pictures for you. Look at this for just a moment, right? Here's some incredible things that God has done. He created that. That's your universe. That is your universe. The next one, oh, this is a cool one. You know what that is? That's a crab nebula out there in outer space. We also have a little bit closer to home, sun, moon, the planet. We have another even more closer to home. That's a fruit fly. And you just want to swat it, you know? I mean, look at that thing. Look at how intricate it is. Now, check this one out. This is given color. This is inside one of your cells in the human body. Friends, the things that we can come up with as human beings, they don't come close to the greatness of God. They don't hold a candle to God's accomplishments. The Hebrew word for great speaks to the increase of things tangible and intangible, whether objects, sounds, feelings, or authority. And this includes people. Great could be in regard to magnitude or extent or number or intensity or importance. And in reference to God, it can be pertaining to his works, his glory, his name, his mercy, his goodness, his compassion, power, etc., and in verse 3, David speaks of God's greatness generally, but then that greatness elicits high praise. In verse 6, it's, it's God's greatness in regard to the power of his awesome acts. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 22, this is David, and he's praying to the Lord with thanksgiving over the fact that God's divine blessing would forever come to David's house and kingdom. And he says, For this reason you are great, O Lord, for there is none like you, and there is no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. And here, God's greatness is measured by the, the fact that there is no one like God. There is no other God besides God. There is. Well, this is also why David declares that God's greatness is unsearchable. In other words, there's no range of God's greatness that could be fully probed or explored. We can't understand God's greatness in Speaking the universe into existence other than the fact that we know he did. And what might be some of the the other secret things that belong to the Lord that have not been revealed to us. And what of those things might we become privy to once in his heavenly realm. Jesus is not any less Great than God the Father, as we see in Micah chapter 5 and verse 4, which speaks to the coming Messiah, saying, And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at the time he will be great to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. And friends, what are you and I to do with God's greatness Oh, we are to stand back and be amazed. We are to, to to sit and be in awe. We are to grovel, just be blown away. Meditate on the greatness of God daily. take stock of what you see and hear and smell and touch and taste, and feel, and know to be true. And whether that is the morning sunrise, or that is the magnificent color of a flower, that is the tiny, delicate hand of a baby, the grandeur of a mountain range, a rainbow, the smell of Thanksgiving dinner, or chocolate souffle, the sound of crickets, or the crashing of waves, a special... Friendship, love amongst friends, a husband and a wife, forgiveness, reconciliation, salvation. All of these friends point to the greatness of God. We need to pay attention to these things, don't we? And give God the honor due Him for these incredible, great, Acts and achievements, accomplishments of his. So as we wrap things up this morning, what are your, your takeaways here this morning? One, are you in the practice of blessing the name of the Lord? How so? Do you practice that privately? Do you do it with other believers? Do you do it publicly? Do you speak God's praises and give him thanks? And again, in that public sphere or with other believers or out there in the world, and in what situations do you find it difficult to declare the name of the Lord in? And maybe that's something to pray about. How have you made Jesus king in your life? It's easy to call him king, right? But does that truly make sense or or manifest in, in our daily lives, day in and day out? What do you look forward to most in regard to God's future kingdom? Do you live each day in light of eternity? And what are the things in life that remind you of God's greatness, friends? Take stock. Maybe sit down and even just make a list of all the ways that you find God to be great. And make a concerted effort to meditate on the Lord's greatness, right? Think deeply about it. Dwell on it. And then maybe ask yourself, how can I tell others of the greatness of God? Let's pray and then we'll be dismissed from here. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for... We thank you for your holy name. We thank you for your name, Yahweh. We thank you for your name, Elohim, Adonai, Jesus. Lord, we give praise to your name. Lord, we we thank you, Father, um, for your greatness. May we take stock of how indeed you are great. May we think well about your accomplishments and achievements. And Lord, the fact that you are indeed king. And what does that mean for us? Do we we see you and acknowledge you as king over our daily lives? With all of the little things in life as well as the big things. And Lord, if there be any sin in us or any ways that we fall short in these areas, may we repent and may you, Lord, just help to draw us closer to you and in such a way that, Lord, we will indeed practice these things with the life that you've given us. We pray all of this in your Son Jesus' name, and all God's people said Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible, copyright by the Lochman Foundation.